Good morning, Mimosas, and thank you for selecting the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. It is meant to be your weekly spark of joy. It consists of one part bubbles, a dash of refreshing conversation, and of course, add a little bit of spice. It's a weekly inspiration every Wednesday morning. The podcast will explore different topics on growth, development, connections, and stories that will hopefully inspire you. Feel free, grab your cup of coffee or a mimosa and join us on Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us now to the podcast episode. Good morning and welcome to the Good Morning Mimosa podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Bear. Excited to have a phenomenal leader with us today to talk to us about leadership, which is part of this three or four part series. Today we have Chris Thomas, who is Sergeant Major, United States Marine Corps retired after serving honorably for 20 years. During his career, he served in numerous locations within the continental United States and abroad to include combat in Afghanistan. He served in various leadership capacities in the duties of aviation logistician. I hope I said that word right. If not, correct me when you get on here. Drill instructor for enlisted Marines and also Navy officer candidates. And lastly, he fulfilled the role of senior enlisted leader of several hundreds of service members in Marine Corps special operations, logistics, and recruiting. His career culminated with obtaining the highest enlisted rank, Sergeant Major, where he served as the recruiting station Harrisburg Sergeant Major. While on active duty, he earned his Bachelor's of Science in Criminal Justice and a Master's in Public Administration. Chris currently works for Noble Supply and Logistics as a regional sales manager for the state of New York. Now, before I bring him on, for our mimosas who are civilians, you're probably saying like, man, that's a lot of information and we're going to dive into that background. But I think one thing to take note of, of our branches of the military, the Marine Corps is the smallest one. It has about 182,000 Marines in it. And only 520 were the rank of sergeant major. So it takes a lot to get there. And Chris is phenomenal. So without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and welcome Chris for this podcast episode. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Cheryl. How are you today? I'm doing great. Excited to have you on. Would you mind sharing with our mimosas the inspirational quote you have chosen? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a quote by John C. Maxwell, and it reads, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and also shows the way. I love that quote, and we will keep that in mind as we get to enjoy this episode. Before I turn it over for you to tell the mimosas a little more background about yourself, I would like to say, you know, my husband and I, not our last place now, but I guess two places ago, we were in Philadelphia, but my husband fell under the Harrisburg office. And that's where we got to meet Chris Thomas. And, you know, one of the reasons why I was like, man, when I do this leadership series for season two, I need to reach out to him throughout military careers. You know, you get to attend if you're fortunate enough and you get invites for retirement ceremonies. And there are people who have a retirement ceremony and 
three people show up and three people may be like your closest family or someone you may have even paid to show up, right? If you're in that few of numbers, um, we were able to get an invite for Chris's and it was one of the most humbling experiences for me as a, you know, military spouse. I'm like a little bit removed from clearly all the everyday happenings that go on, but you just get to witness the impact someone has when literally people fly from all over the country and sometimes the world to be there for a retirement ceremony. And we had a packed house in New York and it was just wonderful. And I loved hearing the stories and you can just tell how passionate and phenomenal a leader is. So with that, Chris, I would like you to just dive in and tell the mimosas a little more about yourself. As you mentioned, my name is Chris Thomas, retired Marine Corps Sergeant Major. I'm recently married to my wife, Anne, who I met a few years ago. And when I was in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and she was in Wilmington, North Carolina, attending her medical residency. Uh, since then, we've purchased a home in upstate New York in uh, Queensbury, New York, which is about three and a half hours north of New York City. And a couple of months ago, actually about four and a half months ago, we welcomed our first child to the world, little Christopher Robert Thomas. Uh, he, he's such a blessing and each day uh, I get to see him, you know, and just to watch and mold him, which is a phenomenal opportunity. But before that, I was born and raised between Greenville, South Carolina, and also Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the youngest of four brothers and a single mom who did an outstanding job balancing work and also our personal life. Uh, we never missed birthdays or holidays. And truth be told, I don't know how it is that she was able to balance all of those things, but she really gave me the inspiration, you know, to really be the man that I am today. Um, as you mentioned, I retired from the Marine Corps uh, about seven months ago now. It's crazy to believe that that happened so quickly. But uh, just a quick story that I'll say, you know, in a quick fashion is that in high school, I actually planned to join the Army. And uh, it was one day in my sophomore year, we had a career fair, and all of the recruiters came and gave their spills on the Marine Corps. And uh, finally, the Marine Corps recruiter steps up there, Staff Sergeant Christopher Humphreys. And uh, he's in his full dress blue. So, you know, he came to, you know, give a great, a great presentation. He did something different from everyone else. Every other branch talked about the things that they will give us, college, you know, tuition, travel the world, et cetera. He made it seem as if we were doing something special for him by joining the Marine Corps. And he would always ask the question of what makes you worthy of the challenge of becoming a United States Marine? So at that point, I was hooked. And 20 years later, here I am there and gone. So that's me in a nutshell, Cheryl. I can envision <laughs> the recruiter saying that it takes, you know, they're the Marine Corps, it's few and, and the proud because it is a uh, very high standards um, and very demanding. And it takes, you know, very specific individuals. And I'm certainly glad that you ended up uh, following <laughs> so that we could cross paths and circling back to your mom real quick. I know uh, you said you are a new father and being a new dad, I'm sure you are thinking back on, you know, your mom raising you and your brothers and you're probably like, wow, like it, it resonates so much harder. It's much more real, what she probably did and, and went through that went behind the scenes now that you're a dad yourself and congratulations, by the way, for you and Anne. Thank you so much. And you're absolutely right. You know, once I think about things that she did, it really didn't resonate how important they were until Christopher came into the world. And you realize that 
that in itself is absolutely a full-time job. The amount of attention that they need, they literally are depending on you for everything, whether it be for feeding, for comfort, for changing diapers, you know, whatever the case might be. It's really just, it's a blessing just to have the opportunity to do it, to be honest. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I love it for you and for Anne. And I was glad that we were able to be there for the gender reveal, which also happened at the retirement and talk about <laughs> an amazing, wonderful experience. That was like the best thing. Oh, it was awesome. But to get to our leadership points of today, I would like to just pick your brain about some negative examples and positive examples throughout your career and your life that you could share with us and some points kind of on either one. And I guess to get the heavy ones out of the way, would you mind providing maybe some negative examples that you've seen or come across? And then, you know, maybe some ways that mimosas listening in could turn it around or, or make it better or how to handle it. So the first one I would talk about is not knowing when to be empathetic and vice being sympathetic. A lot of times as Marines, we kind of confuse those definitions doctrinally. You know, once you think about being empathetic, you're really placing yourself directly into someone's shoes. Whereas once you're sympathetic, you're showing someone that you actually care when something bad happens to them. In the Marine Corps, it really requires you to really have an equal balance on both of those things. You might talk to a Marine or talk to a civilian. It could be translated to both sides. And you have to switch in between being empathetic and also sympathetic at the same time. Uh, specifically to the Marine Corps, we always exhibit this strong outer shell and we always internally convince ourselves that showing any emotion is a huge sign of weakness, which is completely false. You know, showing, you know, sympathy and empathy actually is what makes you stronger as a man or as a woman. So just to give you an example of uh, something that goes along that same effect would be, I served as a senior enlisted uh, Marine in a uh, logistics unit. And uh, a situation was brought to my attention retroactively. And the story actually brings two negative examples that we brought into a positive at the end. So we had a junior Marine who was about 19 years old. He was experiencing some marital issues because his spouse was just a brand new military spouse. She wasn't raised with the military. She had no clue about it. She had no friends in the area. And she just couldn't understand why her husband was always in the field or when he wasn't in the field, he had duty, which was meaning more time away from her. You know, so the Marine approached his leadership for help. However, they told him to go see the command chaplain, you know, whenever he gets time during his next lunch break, which presented, you know, two really quick questions for that 19-year-old Marine. First question is, what is the chaplain? And then secondly, where can I find this person at? Needless to say, the Marine actually never met the chaplain. But you fast forward in time. A few weeks later that a Marine once again approached his leadership and he asked to take leave, a leave of absence so he can go and spend some time with his family and also to go visit his mother and father who was who were in a different state. For whatever reason, the Marine was denied leave. And uh, what he told me was that it was because the unit was absolutely too busy and they couldn't afford to have him gone, uh, which was absolutely insane. You fast forward about two and a half, three weeks later, we were on a Friday afternoon and I received a phone call from one of the small unit leaders saying that Lance Corporal so-and-so was uh, being transported to the emergency room on the base there at Camp Lejeune. Uh, so apparently right after we did our Liberty Formation where we gave instructions and guidance for the weekend, this Marine thought about taking his life. Uh, he was going about 20 miles over the posted speed limit on the base, which was 45 miles an hour, where he intentionally ran into a light at the time, none of this was known to me until the very next day when I went to go visit him and he told me the entire story. 
Um, so those are negative examples and uh, it gets a little bit worse. The uh, commanding officer and I had to ultimately relieve the leadership from that, uh, that small unit section for a complete lack of trust in their abilities to actually understand what was going on. Hey, mimosas. Want a physical spark of joy or know a mimosa who would love to have some mimosa swag? Check out the mimosa market at thebravebear.com slash mimosa market. We have partnered with American manufacturing companies to bring our in-house designs to life. Each purchase from the Mimosa Market is helping us grow the Good Morning Mimosa podcast so we can keep sharing sparks of joy. Thank you for shopping at the Mimosa Market. Cheers, Mimosas. But what we did was we decided to take those negative examples and turn it to positive. We uh, immediately for Monday morning, we called the entire company into our formation um, and we spent about a good two or three hours actually explaining to them what the purpose of, you know, the chain of command is, how we're there to help them, how if something just doesn't seem right, they have absolutely every right to reach out to us directly so we can actually resolve those issues. And we also, of course, went over like leave and liberty policies and then also how they can submit a formal grievance against anyone that, you know, tries to reprise against them or anything of the effect. So Stories started off bad, but at the end of the day, the Marine definitely fully recovered. To my knowledge, he's still in the Marine Corps and he's doing great things. What I, I'm so glad to hear that he's doing well and, and still in the Marine Corps and, and everything. When you were kind of apprised of the whole situation and, you know, how to address his almost immediate leadership and ultimately the command made the decision to relieve them. I imagine a part of that conversation was explaining to the command or the leadership that had to be relieved, like the definition of empathy and sympathy and kind of how, how to be better. Um, would you mind just talking through maybe a couple words of wisdom that were said to that position? Absolutely. The first thing was to have a conversation with that platoon commander and then the platoon sergeant and really explain to them what their purpose is. Obviously, it's there to perform leadership uh, capabilities, but also they need to really serve as mentors, as father figures for those young Marines, because believe it or not, those young Marines are actually looking up to them for inspiration and motivation and everything that they do but also just diving a little bit deeper into it, making sure that they understand that they are a direct reflection of the company commander and I. So in our absence, they are the ones that are representing us. So to really explain to them that, hey, you need to have an equal balance to really put yourself into someone's shoes and really try to understand exactly where they're coming from, but also don't be so quick to, to reach the answer of no. It's easy to get to an answer of no when someone asks you something, the difficult part is to find a yes. And the yes in this situation could have easily been found by saying, hey, we have a field operation coming up in the next week or so. Um, we really need you because we're already shorthanded as far as manpower and personnel go. Is it possible that what we can do is, is we can allow you about two or three days in another week or two? That way you can still get to your family and things like that. But also reminding them as leaders, they should be reaching out to families when they know situations are, are coming up. And it really speaks to one of our leadership principles is, is really knowing your Marines. I mean, that's really your job is to know your Marines and, and seek their welfare. I think you make such a good point. You know, I think sometimes people get the blinders on what I like to call the bullet point stuff, like, Hey, we need to build this thing or do X, Y, and Z in the field. And so you're so driven on the black and white bullet point to achieve and get done that 
sometimes you, people have a tendency to overlook the human element of it. Right. And as leaders understanding the hardship that that Marine was having with his spouse who wasn't plugged in and things like that. I know from (laughs) being a military spouse that there's, that would have been a prime opportunity where if they really took your advice and sat there, put themselves in that 19 year old Marine's shoes, like, Hey, would he be aware or try to understand that, Hey, there's these military spouse networks or here's things they could plug in. And that would have been like such a great time to really hear the full story and then be that wealth of resource and information and really pour in for the whole family and his whole situation there. And like you said, it's a lot easier to say no and just (laughs) shove it aside and, um, but it's, it's one thing as leaders, you know, you gotta, as much as you would like, if you task someone, Hey, get this done. If they just try one thing and they're like, Oh, wasn't able to do it because of this. It's like, you're entrusting that. Hey, if I ask you to do this, you're going to exhaust all possible avenues before you say no. And I think as leaders, it's important to remember that, Hey, you have to do that too. It goes, it goes both ways. It does. And we actually dove a little bit deeper into that same conversation and reminded them that, hey, there's not one individual in the entirety of the Marine Corps that's so important that they can't be excused, you know, if the situation actually arises to that point. But also making it into a a perspective of the Marine Corps being a warfighting organization. And what happens if this was a combat situation and you lost that Marine? Well, guess what? Higher headquarters is not going to just send us a, a replacement the same day. So you would still have to figure it out. So sometimes uh, doing more with less is, is a better way to actually train and actually understand what your capabilities are in those tough situations. True and fair point. If we can, I know you have a second example for us. What other example do you have? Yeah, absolutely. So the second one actually kind of ties into the first one. And it's really about forgetting where you came from and also how you got there in the first place. Uh, One thing that we typically forget is that we're all humans and we're all capable of making mistakes. Sometimes we seem to think just because of the position we hold or the rank that we have on our collars, that we're uh, we're just perfect humans, which is absolutely not the case whatsoever. Um, And sometimes you have to give your Marines or your personnel a second chance, uh, really just to be successful. One of my uh, roles as a senior enlisted leader is to advise the commanding officer on legal actions. Uh, We typically see those in non-judicial punishments and also courts martials where Marines are possibly going to lose pay, they're going to lose rank, they're going to possibly be separated from the Marine Corps. Uh, This was another situation at a different unit, but in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, where I had a, uh, a particular commanding officer who only saw one type of punishment, and that was the maximum punishment allowed by law. There was never a gray area. There was always just, you know, if you did a crime or you committed a offense, regardless of what it was, he was going to give you the max punishment. And what I would do before we would go into those legal actions was give him a full briefing and go through every detail of exactly what happened in the situation what I've observed from that individual Marine, and then also what his leadership is recommending in this case for punishment. So for the first few cases that we went through, I would always leave the conversation and I was thinking that he and I were 100% lockstep. We were on the same sheet of music. He understood where I was coming from. The recommendation was gonna be there. It was fit. Everything was fair across the board. But I noticed very quickly that as soon as we got into those proceedings, 
that he almost turned into a different person. And uh, he, he only saw one thing and that was just negative. So even though a Marine, you know, committed an offense, he never wanted to actually understand the why behind that Marine did it or the unique circumstances. And he would always issue, you know, the most severe punishment. So after having this conversation with him several times, I figured it was time for us to have, you know, one more closed door conversation with he and I and really just understand what is his logic. And what I learned was actually pretty informative. He felt that if he gave anything less than the maximum punishment, his superior officer would look down on him and think that he was weak in his abilities. And I had to ask him, I was like, well, why would you think that? He was like, well, you know, one of my duty responsibilities is to maintain good order and discipline inside the unit. So if I'm fair across the board and I give everyone maximum punishment, then now I'm, I'm fair and they know if they come in front of me that they're going to get the maximum punishment. So that turned from a negative situation into a positive where I had to really educate him on what's the purpose of a non-judicial punishment in the first place. And that's to correct minor deficiencies. It doesn't mean that you're trying to crucify this Marine. You know, you have to give them a chance to actually be successful in what they're doing. It took him a couple more weeks before, you know, he really started to make the turn for it. But I think it was a humbling moment for him because he had to really do a self-evaluation and realize that, hey, just because that's what I was used to, maybe when I was a young Marine or what I think my superior officer is going to do, that might not be the best way to do it. So I think after I left that unit and he went to a different one, I'm very confident that he took that negative that he had and really turned it into a positive and really started to make fair punishments across the board and not be known as the person that just gives maximum punishments across the board. I think you brought up so many good leadership points there, you know, of course, not forgetting where you came from and like, Hey, remember when you were that age, what were you doing? And, and accordingly, but really what a great conversation to have with him about really getting to know that why. And I think that is an important piece. You know, I think about some jobs that I had where, like you were saying, we're in a meeting, we're having a great conversation. We're on the same page and you think you're, you mm -hmm. think you're lockstep and then you go Absolutely. to an event <laughs> or you go and then like press is there and what is happening is what almost feels a complete 180 than the conversation you just had. I think it's wonderful to actually, Hey, I know we have these closed, closed door conversations to advise on certain points, but how great it is to actually sit down and get to understand that why and not be afraid or timid to like dig deeper in that because having that understanding it also can help if you're you know someone who's you know kind of has that dynamic with a, a leadership figure you know also how you approach it right you know because if if you understand them and you know that hey they have a tendency to look at it through this way still give them the same factual information, but maybe help when you, you know, state it to them or you brief them, give it in a way that positions them to give it a little bit of a fair shake. Think of it a little bit differently so that they get the whole picture instead of just going hard. And I think that is, you know, going maximum punishment. It's a way of doing things right. And like in one way, oh, it's fair across the board because you did this and this is the max and that's just what everyone is. But again, getting back to that human element, 
is it fair? Like every, every case has so many variables, so many additional details and not that you're making it easier on yourself at an expense for others, but that's how I would, I mean, that's how I would probably look at it and say it because again, it's a lot easier to just say, well, throw the book at them. This is the most I can do. And just across the board where it takes a lot more effort and time and gnawing in your mind of all the details and having that that compassion and care to sift through the details and say, okay, what is fair? Not just what is maximum. Hey, Mimosas, consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Mimosa member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash good morning mimosas. Every Mimosa member will get ad-free episodes. You no longer have to hear ads like this. In addition, depending on the level that works best for you, you can get 10% off of all Mimosa merch in the Mimosa market all day, every day. Bonus content, sneak peeks at upcoming episodes and events coming down the pipeline, episode resources, and so much more. Thank you for considering supporting the podcast through a Mimosa membership. Cheers. Absolutely. And we actually dove into that same conversation. And and it's crazy how, you know, different examples can bring a plethora of different resolutions. And uh, one of the things that I harped on a lot was, I'll just mention two of them for the sake of time was, first things first, you know, once we look at these legal actions, there can be positives that come from a negative type situation. The positive could be that now the Marines understand that we are here for their best interest. They made a mistake. And we're going to fix that mistake, but we can also recover from that mistake. That one Marine realizes that, but then also, guess where that one Marine is going to go to after he's received that maximum punishment? He's going to go back to the barracks where he's got 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 other Marines that he's going to say nothing but negative things about. So now when another situation goes back, kind of similar to that first one, are the Marines really going to trust us? Well, of course, they're not going to trust us because the only time they see us, we're taking their rank. We're taking money from them. We're restricting them to their barracks. But then the second piece was, I was actually taught many, many years ago that when you look at the behavior of a Lance Corporal or Private First Class, an E2 or E3 in the Marine Corps, you have to really make the correlation of the typical age that these Marines are at. Typically about 18 to 22 years old. Well, when you dive a little bit deeper into it, what is a typical civilian doing between the ages of 18 and 22? likely in college and you know whatever happens out there happens out there but maybe there is a small correlation in between the two maybe they're trying to you know get some of that energy out as well you know when i think back to that time period there's a lot of things that i'm sure pfcs and lance corporals are doing that are identical to what the college kid counterparts doing it's just one doesn't have the magnitude and expectations because the college kids, no one expects much out of them. You know what I mean? Like show up, go to class, maybe in your pajamas, right. And like show up, maybe take notes, print off the slides for later, pack your snacks, you know, and maybe turn in your assignments right on time where the weight and expectations, you know, when you see a, a Marine, I know for me, whenever I see a Marine, I know that Hey, if something happens and I need a person, like I could run to that person because they're a Marine and they're going to handle things, you know, they're going to, you know, whether it's, you know, I had a flat tire and I prayed my way to second CEV in North Carolina and was like, (laughs) if I could just 
get to the battalion. Someone would be able to help me change out my car tire. And <laughs> I didn't even have to ask, like, you know, a couple Marines came out of the woodwork. Of course, I repaid them with cupcakes, which, you, you know, wins over nothing wins over hearts and minds more than food. But, you know, there's just that expectation that like, Hey, they're, they're squared away and they're, they're going to help where a college kid, you don't even expect them to like lift up their head from their cell phones when crossing the street, you know? And I say that from experience. (laughs) I was one of them. I get it. I get it. That's hilarious. Um, (laughs) So we have one more of the negative examples and then we'll go to the straight positive one. So what is your, your last one here for us? So the last one is about taking ownership for a project that really was completed by someone else and without giving them the credit that they deserve for actually completing that project. Oh, I feel this one in my soul. I'm sure like mimosas listening are like, <gasps> and everyone can go to that place that they've seen it happen. They've witnessed it. Yes. But tell us your example. Yes. Yeah, so one of the worst things, one of the absolute worst things that you can do as a leader is to take responsibility for something that your subordinates did. Even if it's a project that was completed as a team, the credit, in my opinion, never goes to the supervisor. It always goes to those that are actually a part of the team. You know, as a leader of any organization, it's implied that anything that the team does, whether good or bad, it falls on the leader. That, that goes without being said. But sometimes leaders often are quick to take ownership for a job well done. However, they're quiet when things don't go as planned. You know, another time when I was a senior enlisted advisor, they came across a time where there was a group of Marines that were uh, really preparing to go on a deployment. These were reserve Marines. So we would see them, you know, one weekend out of the month, two weeks out of the, out of the summer. You know, to a lot of people, this might seem like an easy assignment, but you know, typically for an active duty unit, you're spending, you know, months, if not a year preparing for a deployment. So imagine preparing for a deployment, but now you're working with reservists who you only see for a Friday, Saturday, and maybe a Sunday, you know, for six months, seven months or something like that. The amount of time that the actual active duty staff went into the uh, preparation, the, the planning, it took months and long nights, long days, you know, just to get to that point. I won't go through all the details, but after the unit actually deployed, it was now time for us to actually recognize our, our Marines for a job well done. You know, I worked directly with the, uh, the key leadership from all of those um, direct reports. I gave them recommendations on what I believe would be the most appropriate level of award for those Marines that really perform exceptional, exceptionally well. Obviously, every Marine was not going to get an award, but just the ones that went above. Unfortunately, a lot of the awards got downgraded. Some got uh, completely rescinded. And it was all due to one person. And it was the commanding officer of that unit feeling that those Marines didn't deserve any type of an award. He said that they were just doing their job. The truth of the matter is, and that took me some, uh, I had to reach out to some senior people and uh, really asked them like, why is this guy so heartfelt over these awards? It's not like he's paying for these awards and it's easily justified that they actually did what was correct. The issue was he was recommended for an award because of what the battalion did. However, once it got to the general, the general in his case said, no, he is a lieutenant colonel in 05 in the Marine Corps, and he was doing his job. So he took the message from his award and then passed it down to the G Marines by saying that, hey, we don't reward ourselves just for doing our job. 
completely bad situation. And uh, unfortunately, nothing good came out of that one. I, I don't have a, a positive tie-in for it, but it was a situation to where um, it, it was, even to this day, I, I still feel uncomfortable about the amount of hard work and time away from the families that those Marines did beyond what we asked them to do. You know, these Marines were standing at work eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, and then coming back early in the morning and then taking work home, working remotely just to stay ahead of the job while also working their concurrent jobs, you know, as far as being active duty Marines. So not to reward them is something that uh, if you were to ask me what keeps me up at night, it would be situations like that. I think of some of my experience on the civilian side, and I've had plenty of, of leaders that had a certain experience, you know, as they were coming up through the ranks and then they almost took it and it made a huge impact on them. So then they turned around and did the exact same thing down to us instead of breaking the cycle almost and, and making a positive difference. And I think it's such a good point that, Hey, just because that, you know, Lieutenant Colonel or whatever felt he deserved an award and it didn't happen for him doesn't mean that you turn around and deprive people under your command as well. And I think that's huge, but then also actually taking the time to acknowledge people and give awards, right? Cause it's a lot easier to just say, good job guys, as you're just walking by, but you know, how many times has there been a really awesome employee, right? And they're like, oh, if you, you know, really think so fill out the survey. Right. And then how many of us actually go from like, this was a positive experience to taking the time to fill out the survey, you know, right, right, I think it's right. the same thing. Like, okay. If, if you really mean what you're saying, you got to kind of back it up as a leader. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know, the point behind that is that even though in my personal and most humble opinion, I believe those Marines deserve some type of an award to wear on their uniform, I would have been even satisfied if that commanding officer would have just written a hand note, a handwritten note to those Marines, went down there, personally gave it to them and said, hey, I acknowledge the efforts, I appreciate the efforts, and here's something to show your appreciation. Something as simple as that would have, that, that probably would have meant more to those Marines than an award that they actually put on their chest. It's the small it, things that really matter. Absolutely. You know, I, I've, I've worked a couple of jobs, got spicy. I'll say it was a little difficult, a little hard at times. And I always have a folder on my desk and, or that's labeled. And it says it's, I heart me. And it's like, I love me. And it's my folder for when it's a little spicy it's a little hot, a little, spicy. <laughs> a little spicy going on. And I, anytime I would get an email from coworkers or people I worked with or volunteers, you know, and that just said something positive or nice, you know, or, Hey, I really appreciated that or a small note or, and I would just print it off and I would put it in that folder. And it was like my rainy day folder of when I wish I had a glass of milk to handle all the spice <laughs> happening. I would just open that folder and, and, and up my, my little, uh, cup there. So then I, you know, could keep putting the, the good foot forward and, and keep, uh, progressing in my job. And those notes, those handwritten notes, emails that I have from volunteers, literally for three years that I was, uh, at an organization, I have kept every single one of them big or small, Absolutely. and you never know how much I know for me that has literally saved me some days at work when I was like, who, how many more hours do we, do we have, you know, and it, it goes so far. And 
sometimes people just hold on to it forever. So uh, I think that's such a good point. And talking about good points and positive things, let's get to our positive examples. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first one I wanted to talk about was this, this one's definitely personal to me. You know, I'll try not to tear up from it, but uh, this is one of those situations that uh, it resonates every single time. The topic for it is uh, demanding and demonstrating by your own example. You know, earlier when we talked about, you know, subpar behavior, we were talking about Marines within the age group of uh, 18 and 22 years old. So this is a story that was written several years ago uh, by, at the time, Lieutenant General John Kelly who uh, many of us know went on to be the uh, White, staff, White House Chief of Staff. But uh, these are two Marines. Uh, the first one is Corporal Jonathan Yale, who is 22 years old. And then the other one is Lance Corporal Jordan Hergen, who at the time was 20 years old. Two completely different Marines. Never met each other, two different backgrounds, all of that good stuff. But they- I think I know where you're going. I yeah. too will cry, so- if yeah. I look, yeah, we'll cry together. Oh. Yes. We'll, we'll, yes, we'll cry together. Yeah, so these were two Marines that had never met each other before, but they earned the title of a United States Marine. They ultimately found themselves together in Ramadi, Iraq. This was in, uh, in 2008. So uh, Corporal Yale was finishing up his deployment, and uh, Lance Corporal Herder was just beginning his first deployment. So the story is titled Six Seconds to Live. As I mentioned, it was by Lieutenant uh, General John Kelly. So without going through all the, the first part of the details, you had two Marines that were about to assume their post on an entry control point. And uh, they received their orders and the, the platoon sergeant told him to uh, make sure that they let no unauthorized vehicles actually pass through that gate because they were security watch. Within minutes after them actually assuming their post, a large blue truck turns down the alleyway about 60 or 70 yards away from them. It continued to speed its way through the alley and stopped just shy of where those Marines were and it detonated and instantly killed both of them. The reports show that 24 brick masonry houses were damaged or destroyed. A mosque that was hundred yards away completely collapsed. They say that 2000 pounds of explosives were inside the truck. But those two Marines saved 150 Iraqi and American forces that were on that compound. Lieutenant General Kelly made a very interesting observation. And he said it took about six seconds from the moment that truck entered the alleyway before it detonated. He even analyzed those six seconds. Second one, without time to discuss the situation or call for help, the Marines realized what was going on. Only enough time to remember their mission statement from their platoon sergeant, which read, let no unauthorized vehicles or persons pass. By this point, the truck was already halfway down the alleyway. For seconds two and three, both of those Marines present their weapons, aim and open fire. The Iraqis that were on post with them at that time actually are seen in the video feed running away from the situation. Seconds four and five, the Marines fire their weapons nonstop. The video shows the glass shards from the truck going everywhere. You can see that the body of the Iraqi is actually taking a bulk of those rounds. The personnel on the base had absolutely no clue as to what was going on. But these two Marines stood there with their feet spread apart and they leaned into danger and they fired as quickly as they could. At this point, they only had one second to live. The truck explodes, 
the camera fee goes blank and two Marines go to their God. Ultimately, both of these Marines were posthumously awarded the Navy Cross, which is our nation's highest, excuse me, our nation's second highest award for combat valor. When I think about that story, I can think of no better display of demanding and demonstrating by your own example and willing to sacrifice your life just so that others can live. Are you a business that is trying to find a new way to grow your brand? Consider sponsoring this podcast. Sponsorship range from social media logo posts to ads during the episodes. Sponsorships are a great way to get your message out to new audience while supporting the Mimosa community. Check out the options at thebravebear.com slash sponsorship for more details. Cheers, Mimosas. I'm tearing up thinking about this. So um, Ryan, you know, he went to uh, OCS and TBS and, um, you know, that that first year that he became a Marine, you know, we were at, it was Memorial Day weekend. We were sitting on our balcony that was about uh, two feet and two feet wide, <laughs> two feet long. It was very small. And Ryan said, hey, you know, I want to, I have a story we need to read. And, you know, he read through this story. I'm crying. He's crying. And he was like, here I am a boot Lieutenant. And what makes me worthy of leaving, leading a Marine like that, a couple of Marines like that. And when I sit here and I think about being an officer, I need to like, I've done nothing, (laughs) you know, and, um, am I the person that is good enough to be there and, uh, be in charge of men and exceptional Marines like that. So we had a good long conversation and, you know, kind of every year on Memorial day, we always talk. And and that's one of the big reflection points that we have because, you know, those two Marines and for the mimosas take a moment, we'll, we'll, uh, post a link for the full story. But when you, when you hear about these two young Marines and their families and what they were supporting and the weight on their shoulders. Mm, yeah. It hits you at home. And, uh, you know, if you didn't Google or read these stories about Corporal Yale and Lance Corporal Herder, you would think these are like superheroes by structure, right? I, I just see mm-hmm. two extremely muscular, you know, meat eating, you know, alpha males that are just ready to just take over the world. I don't mention it too often, but Lance Corporal Herder was one of my recruits. Um, I actually made him a Marine. Um, I don't tell that part of the story often, but uh, he was, when I was a senior drill instructor, he was uh, one of my recruits. So I, I, I vividly see his picture in my mind right now. I can see him through the first and second and third phases of uh, recruit training. I can even see his mom coming up to me on the parade deck on Paris Island after graduation and uh, asking me to promise that, uh, that he would be safe. And uh, his mom and I still, you know, reach out on Facebook and she does a, a couple of different events throughout the year, especially on April 22nd, uh, which was the day of uh, the detonation. Those two Marines will be forever heroes. And those are the type of people that we have in the Marine Corps. So when it goes back to the story of, you know, holding Marines accountable, that's the reason why we have strict rules is because we're asking an 18-year-old man or woman to go into harm's way, to kick down a door and ultimately take someone's life uh, or give up theirs. You know, that's, that's asking a whole lot. So you need to have a certain kind of mentality to really be into that, that groove to understand like this is not just a peacetime Marine Corps. It might be today, 
but tomorrow might bring a different chapter. And if you're not ready for that stuff, well, you need to really have a second, you know, second assessment. But then to your, your point of uh, your husband, he's absolutely the person to lead Marines. You know, when you look at our accession programs, especially uh, officer candidate school and the basic school, if you can complete those two, you're absolutely the person that's, you know, prepared to lead Marines of any caliber into combat in the most harmful and most dangerous situations. And he's, he's proven that piece. I mean, he's a phenomenal captain. He's one that I definitely respect a, a lot. And, you know, he, he's a phenomenal Marine. And those are the types of officers that we need. And he's going to be a great commanding officer in the next couple of months. Talking about being accountable for your actions. You know, the Marine Corps has high standards, but I think for our civilian mimosas, one of the things that I've found myself checking in, you know, I've worked for a lot of different places and organizations, and it's not always clear what the mission and core values are of businesses, organizations, things like that. And I think it's an important piece that, hey, if you're sitting here wondering what it is, I mean, look it up because right. that's right. That's where, I mean, your your accountability line and basis should fall in line with what your mission is you're trying to accomplish as a company or an organization. Um, and your core values is kind of your your map, right, of how to get it done. And it's important to lead by that and live by that. So if you don't know that with your company, and it's not always, you know, when you get hired by a company, it's not always a briefing you get. Um, right, right. So on the civilian side, you know, um, you've right. got to, sometimes you got to look for it, but it's, it's on you to be proactive, especially, you know, um, leaders aren't just a position of, of power or something, you know, you can lead at any position at any time, but you have to take the initiative to do so. 100% true. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm biased towards the Marine Corps, but I did spend, you know, 20 years in the Marine Corps. And I always joke because I have friends in every branch of the military. And uh, it was uh, it was actually when you guys were up here for uh, for my retirement ceremony, my uh, my cousin was uh, he was in the Air Force and uh, he was sitting around. Of course, he's the only Air Force person that was here and, uh, you know, amongst a bunch of Marines and uh, it was funny because my senior drill instructor when I was a recruit was actually here as well. So uh, they were all sitting there and they were just, you know, having a good time. And then uh, my cousin was, you know, making a point of how tough the Air Force was and this, this, and this. Mind you, none of my Marine buddies had said anything about, hey, you know, we're Marines, we're Urah, we're tough. Everyone's just, you know, humbled and just having a good time. But he just went on and on and on. And uh, my drill instructor, uh, you know, said something to him that shut him down. He was like, Hey, what is the birthday of the Air Force? Hey, what, what are the core values and the leadership principles of the Air Force? Do you guys have a service song? Can you sing it? My cousin just laughed and he's like, okay, you win, I'm done. But it, it proves the point because every Marine knows those things just like the back of their hand. They understand it, but other branches really don't harp on it. But we believe that if you have a if you're going to be a part of this gun club and actually be fully invested, you need to understand what, where we came from, where we're at, and also where we're going, which is directly aligns into what you're referring to on the civilian side. So I've, I've learned that in the last seven months that the things that we learn in the military easily translate over to the civilian side, just in a different capacity. You know, we change some words and stuff like that, but uh, ultimately it's the same thing. Talking about those, uh, you know, we just left an army school in Missouri. And during that time, we were talking and we're like, oh, yeah, we've got important plans. And they're like, why? And I'm like, 10 November. 
you know, as a military <laughs> spouse, I'm over here like, what do you mean? You don't know, you know, um, right, and because right. I'll tell you, um, we were, I was in New Jersey when we were stationed in Philadelphia. I was getting uh, breakfast. It was actually a day I just took a, like a random Thursday off of work and decided to go sit down, have breakfast. And it was 10 November and a Marine who was retired, had a Marine Corps t-shirt on. And I walked by and I was like, Hey man, happy birthday. And he was like, what yeah. <laughs> are you married? And I was like, Oh no, I, you know, I'm a spouse. And he's like, wait, what are you doing up here? You know? But, um, yeah, no, it is, it is definitely something that that is ingrained. And what other positive example do you have for us? Yeah. So this one really just kind of ties into everything that we've talked about. And uh, the topic is knowing yourself, but also seeking self-improvement, which is one of our leadership principles in the Marine Corps. So uh, many years ago, I was a Marine Corps drill instructor, which means that I transformed civilians into basically trained Marines. This is at Paris Island, South Carolina, which is our boot camp. And uh, as a senior drill instructor at the time, my job was to show up uh, on about day three or day four of the recruits being on Paris Island when they were in what's called the receiving mode. And uh, what I would do is I would monitor their initial strength test, which is based off of uh, crunches, based off of pull-ups and then a mile and a half run. As the senior drill instructor, I have the opportunity to either accept or deny any recruit that fails any of those three components of the uh, initial strength test. And uh, for the most part, I would always say, I'm not gonna take anyone that doesn't pass those portions because I think that can be a huge liability for my drill instructors, but also a huge you know, threat to that individual recruit because Studies have shown that if you can't pass those minimum requirements, you're likely to injure yourself at some point in training. So for the most part, I, I never would keep anyone. So for this particular day, I, I don't know, maybe, you know, I was just, you know, maybe I had some good coffee or a good breakfast at the chow hall. I, I don't know what it was, but um, one of the recruits jumps on the pull-up bar and he did a struggle of a pull-up. I mean, he could not lift his body weight any more than maybe three-fourths of the way up you know, one time. Naturally, what I would do in the past would be just say, you know what, I'm going to drop this. I'm going to deny this recruit. And I'm going to send them back in training. But for whatever reason, I saw something in this recruit and I said, you know what, I'm actually going to keep him. I'm going to keep him and then see if he can actually improve on himself. So we had a long conversation and, um, you know, I really told him that, hey, I'm, I'm looking to see some improvement within three weeks or else I'm gonna resend you back from uh, week three to week one. But what that recruit said was that he was committed to becoming a United States Marine. And this is something that he had always wanted to do. And he acknowledged the fact that he was weak, you know, physically at the time, but he was gonna do everything he could do. So at physical training, my drill instructors would be, uh, they, they would completely wear him out. I mean, it was almost to the point, I thought he was gonna quit numerous times. And truth be told, if I were in his shoes, I probably would have quit also because as a recruit, you already get a lot of attention by the drill instructors, but now you're, you're basically wearing a shirt that says, hey, I need some extra love over here. And uh, so that's like a magnet for the drill instructors. But I noticed that every single night, instead of you know writing letters home or anything like that, he would always get his uniforms prepared. And then he would either do crunches, he'd do push-ups, or he'd jump on the pull-up bar. And he was always working out. And I'm like, this guy's he really is committed to it. So now we get around to week three and he was up from doing zero pull-ups to five pull-ups because of all the hard work and determination he did it. So it surprised me because in my mind, I already had, you know, said that, you know, week 
week three, he's going to be going back to week one. There's no doubt about it. Fast forward, you know, three more weeks. Now we're at week six. He's at 10 pull-ups. So I'm like, this guy is really what we're looking for. And kind of, you know, I was just smiling. Like I didn't show him the smile, but in my heart, I'm like, this is what it's all about. Well, you fast forward, you know, Marine Corps boot camp is 12 and a half weeks. At graduation, he did 17 pull-ups, 17 pull-ups from doing zero. Of course, as a senior drill instructor, I had some authority to uh, meritoriously promote him, which means promote him ahead of his peers to uh, E2, private first class. So he graduated and, uh, you know, he thanked me and everything like that. But I said, well, I didn't do the work. You know, you did all the work. I'm just, I honestly didn't think you had it in you, but I've never seen a recruit go from zero to 17. Well, many, many years passed by. I think it was like five or so years passed by and uh, I get an email and it was from this recruit. And it took me a second because once I saw the name, I was like, okay, I know the name, but I've trained, you know, several hundred recruits at this point. So I don't remember them all. But he reminded me in the narrative of who he was. And I was his senior drill instructor and stuff like that. Now, this young staff sergeant, E6, is a drill instructor at Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego. So now he's training recruits. And he was about to be a senior drill instructor. So he was ecstatic about it. And he was just telling me how excited he was. So I gave him my cell phone number. And uh, he gave me a call and I gave him some, you know, words of encouragement and said how proud of him I am. And, you know, I'd almost forgotten about it because, you know, so much has happened in the last five or six years. You know, we stayed in touch and I ran into him a couple of times, you know, out in the Fleet Marine Force. But about two years ago, I got a, uh, a phone call from him. I said, hey, you know, how's it going? He was like, well, uh, I heard you're a, uh, you're a sergeant major now. And I'm like, how did you know? You know, like, how do you find me? You know, I was like, I don't know how you found my email address years ago, but now you found my, you some kind of way kept my cell phone number. So, uh, you know, we talked for a second and uh, I thought he was just calling to check up on, you know, what I would say the old man now, because, you know, here he is, you know, he's a gunner, he was a gunner sergeant, he's seven at the point. And uh, I was a sergeant major, but he said, I got selected to become a Marine Corps warrant officer. And I was like, are you serious? And he was just ecstatic. And he was like, you know, I busted my butt. I told you at boot camp, you know, that I was committed to being a Marine and this, this, and this. I became a drill instructor. And then I wanted to lead on the officer side. And then he asked me if I would come to his promotion uh, in February, which was only about two months ahead of us. And uh, one, read his promotion warrant, but then also pin on his warrant officer bars. So I did that piece and uh, it was in Quantico. It actually was snowing that day. I hadn't seen this. I haven't physically seen him, you know, since he was one of my recruits, you know, what, 15 years ago. But just to see him, and I mean, this guy looks like a, he's a small frame guy, but he's like muscular. You can see it in his face. And I, I just, I don't even know what to do. Like, I almost just want to like hug you and just cry, you know, yes. we just cry in the snow together, you know, and I don't know. It, it, it was just, it was breathtaking, but I told him that, you know, I'm going to be retiring soon. And you know, we talked about that piece, but I was like, this is what I tell Marines is as leaders, we really just plant seeds everywhere we go and we fertilize those seeds. And guess what happens? You know, with the right conditions, they all blossom. And these are now the future leaders of the Marine Corps. So that was my, my final story. It was a positive story. And uh, it, it still it makes me smile just to think about it right now. As a pure civilian over here, sitting here and 
you know, thinking 17 pull-ups, you know, going zero to 17 and what a massive transformation and change that is, which I'm sure, you know, all the mimosas sitting here that might be like me and, you know, get a good arm workout by lifting a mimosa glass (laughs) to the mouth. Um, you know, that is like mind blowing, but then to just see how with the right encouragement and determination and that, you know, and, but also I think the cool thing was like you recognizing that in him. You know, as, as leaders, it's good to get to know your people because Mm -hmm. although physically he was very weak in the beginning, I mean, talk about having such a strong mental fortitude, right. And determination to get stuff done. And I think it's so important that leaders take the time, get to know their people and then man, look at where they can go. Gosh, I'm like, I'm yeah. super, I mean, no, none of the mimosas can see us cause this is all audio, but like, oh, my face hurts from smiling. Like, yes. Yeah, it's uh, 100% a people organization. And I'd argue anywhere, whether it's on the military or civilian side, if you know your people and you actually, you know, ensure their welfare, there's nothing they won't do for you. Nothing mm-hmm. they won't do for you. Definitely make impossibilities possible. Well, um, it has been fantastic today. Thank you for uh, talking with us all this morning. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, We're going to circle back to our quote today, which is by John C. Maxwell. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And mimosas, where you come from doesn't determine where you're going. Every person can become anything you wish if, big if here, you are willing to put in the time and dedication towards seeing it through. If you currently have a goal or something in mind that you're pushing through and you're trying or a change you're trying to make, please let us know and reach out to us. Until the next episode, please leave us some feedback on whatever platform you may be listening to this podcast on, as well as follow us on Instagram at goodmorningmimosas. Of course, send us an email at goodmorningmimosas.podcast at gmail.com. You literally never know who needs this mimosa community. So please consider sharing this with friends and family or anyone else who could use a spark of joy. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please keep sharing those sparks of joy. Cheers, mimosas. 